Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening in. In this episode, I'm speaking with guest Judy Thayer all about Waldorf and chest and breastfeeding. So you know, the show notes for this episode can be found at waldorfy.com forward slash chest and breastfeeding. Judy is so dear to me. As you'll hear, she was present at the birth of my second son and has been a huge help on my breastfeeding journey. She is also the mother of my sister's best friend who also grew up attending a Waldorf school as you'll hear all about as well. Judy's wisdom is so rich in this area. I'm really looking forward to you getting to know her in this episode. I know to some, this episode is almost a bit off topic, and I hadn't even actually planned to have this topic in this season. However, I've received so many questions about this topic over the years, even more so in the past few months since the birth of my second, I felt it was worth including. I feel Judy also does a fantastic job of navigating this topic in a great way relating back to how it does or does not connect with Waldorf. Thank you all so much, those of you who supported the Patreon drive last month. It was awesome. Lots of new patrons came over to that space to support. I'm so enjoying getting to know all of the new members over there. What's Patreon? Patreon is a platform where you can support creators like myself to create content that you love with a small monthly contribution. There's also bonus content over in that space that you can't access anywhere else. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a supporter, just visit patreon.com forward slash Waldorfy and Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Now let me introduce you to Judy. Judy Fair is currently a registered nurse in IBCLC who has spent the last 20 years working closely with adults in their early parenting years. From helping mothers who have just given birth to supporting parents through the weaning process, she listens to the goals of family and helps them to reach them. She has facilitated prenatal classes, breastfeeding classes, held weekly newborn support groups for mothers and caregivers. She does home visits and telehealth visits, working one-on-one with parents of young babies as they discover the skills of feeding and caring for their new newborn. Prior to becoming a labor and delivery nurse in her early 40s, she raised her own children using an attachment parenting style. She was a Waldorf parent for 12 years. She was also a handwork teacher in grades 1 through 8 and occasionally a guest teacher in the Waldorf High School health class during the lessons on pregnancy and birth. Once her own children were grown, she and her wife became foster parents. Specializing in caring for children with special needs, they have welcomed into their home seven children, including a blind newborn, as well as pregnant teens, helping prepare them to become mothers themselves. Most recently, Judy has welcomed a grandson. Being privileged to attend his birth, she is still smiling deeply from this experience. Welcome, Judy. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. It's I mentioned to you before we started recording, the latest I've ever come to an interview because, as my husband said very appropriately, I was nursing right up until the time you're going to be recording. So kind of worked out perfectly. And of course, you know, I introduced you to the audience, but you and I have quite a close relationship. I mean, you helped me so much in supporting me with my breastfeeding relationship with my first son, Jasper, and you're at the birth of my second Bodhi. And um, of course, you had a daughter in my sister's class, and they're still best friends. So we have a lot of kind of close ties, you know, to each other. So I'm so, so happy to share your wisdom and love that is you through this episode with the audience. So that being said, I'm wondering if you can tell the audience how you found Waldorf Education, because I actually know that this story relates a little bit to your breastfeeding journey too. It does. Thank you for having me, Ashley. And I too really enjoy our long history I remember the first time I saw you, you and your two sisters, these three little beautiful blonde girls lined up together as your mom brought you to the Waldorf School where I also was bringing my children. It has been a real pleasure for me to watch all of you grow up and then become full adults in your own right. I feel very privileged to continue to know you and to have been asked to be at one of the most memorable days of your life. So thank you for all of that. My introduction 
to the combination of breastfeeding with Waldorf education came very early. I knew absolutely nothing about Waldorf education, but a few weeks after my first child was born, back in 1987, I started going to a La Leche League group because I didn't know anybody who was breastfeeding their child, nor had I had much background in viewing breastfeeding. I had a deep desire to do so, having grown up in the country watching literally my cat nurse her kittens, and then one aunt who was a bit of an outlier in our family who insisted on breastfeeding her children and let me in on the wonderful uh, specialness of it. And I'd always secretly known one day I would do so. So in this La Leche Lee group, there were other moms who I found were much more like me than my neighborhood moms necessarily were at the time. And one mentioned this wonderful holiday fair that was coming up. And could we all gather our babies into our baby backpacks and go together? And having nothing better to do, I decided to join in. When I got to the school, the Pine Hill Waldorf School in Wilton, New Hampshire, I literally walked into the foyer and from head to toe got chills. And I couldn't explain it, but I was amazed at the beauty of the place. And as I entered the holiday fair, I started seeing people who reminded me of me. For the first time, it felt like I was meeting my people, the kind of people who carried their babies in cloth sacks and carriers instead of in strollers, and who dressed a bit like me, and who sat on the bench and breastfed their babies when they were hungry without apologizing or hiding. That was my introduction, and I never turned back. The place had me mesmerized and sent me on a journey of learning more about Waldorf education and choosing an education for my children instead of just placing them in the local school that was set before us. Yes. And I'm I'm happy for you to share that story because I know at least for you and my mom, I suppose, that is a really common story actually that I've heard that mothers or carers and parents have connected kind of through La Leche League <laughs> with a group that then connected them with Waldorf education, which is really interesting. And I think that uh, my mom also had a similar trajectory to you in that she, no one around her breastfed at all. Um, I was also born in 87, but she was really determined to make that happen. And at the time, I mean, having had you in my life, Judy, and all the support that you've offered me, I don't know how she did it because she didn't have any support. She didn't know anyone that did it. Her mother didn't do it. And she was, you know, kind of pretty isolated. And I think she did have also a similar experience in kind of finding like a secure, comfortable place for herself within, uh, you know, a Waldorf community. And I'm going to be actually speaking with her for the first time on the show this season. So maybe she'll speak a little bit about that. So I think that even still, although breast and chest feeding is quite uh, mainstream now, I think that we still uh, associate it with a holistic approach to parenting and nurturing uh, children, even though lots of people across all sorts of lifestyles and, you know, across everywhere, (laughs) chest and breastfeed. But we still associate it with this kind of holistic approach to parenting, to life perhaps. And it's interesting. I think that a lot of parents and carers are surprised to hear that Steiner may have said that it was best for baby to wean around a year. Have you have you heard that before? And do you know why he may have said that? I'm assuming there's some connection um, to his perspective or indications on human and child development. And I know that you have, of course, such a rich, uh, you know, association and understanding of Waldorf education, and then also chest and breastfeeding. So, do you know if he gave any indications about breastfeeding and chest feeding? I too was really interested in this because I've heard that in the past as well. And I had heard it as a as a breastfeeding parent and as a Waldorf educator, but it wasn't until I've become a lactation specialist that made me pause and wonder more about it. And I did a little digging and what I have found is that 
and you actually touched on it. You said he may have said. There is no written indication that he absolutely said that, although we all have heard that he may have said that. I started thinking about this question knowing it was coming today, and it dawned on me that just like another um, following called baby led weaning, which is a um, a way of transitioning a, a young child from exclusively breastfeeding to enjoying table foods, where it, which we know is a journey and takes many months and sometimes a year or more for a child to make that transition. Baby led weaning in the United States has a name change, and we call it baby led feeding. And I learned that the reason we changed the name is because in British English or European English based countries, the word weaning has a very different meaning than it does here in the US. Here, we say weaning, we mean stopping breastfeeding. In Europe, Weaning means the introduction of table food. So when I think about that difference, it's dawned on me that Steiner may very well have used it, but not in the U.S. definition of it, which meant by a year old, he expected children were making that transition to table food. Now, you and I both know that children can eat table food for a long time and complementary breastfeed alongside of that. So I'm guessing that knowing how Steiner viewed the spirit coming into the child and making them more earthbound, what he was giving us direction to was this idea that it was time for us to begin to discipline, and I mean this in, in the term of teaching our children the beginning of boundaries. And I think that breastfeeding is the absolute very best place for new and young parents to begin to learn the parenting skill of building soft but firm walls for young children. So I'm really extrapolating here, but I believe what he may have wanted us to begin to understand is that up until about a year, nine months, a year, somewhere in there, children breastfeed at will. They are hungry, they ask, we provide. At some point, there are times where they ask and we don't find it convenient, or they're asking, but what they really need is a cuddle or maybe some table food calories. And it is those moments where the children are beginning to hear the word no or not right now in a loving way. And that is a really important thing for a child to be able to accept in order to become a social, gentle, creative child who everybody can enjoy having around. When we see a child demanding the mother's breast at will, pulling at her clothes, uh, fussing, um, hurting her until she gives in and breastfeeds, that is not a pleasant child to watch or to parent or even to be. And that can happen somewhere, you know, starting around a year where if we put more of a schedule, and I mean this in a loose term, around breastfeeding, when we wake up before nap, after nap, before bedtime, instead of every time the child thinks about it or sees the breast or starts pulling at the mother's clothes. That is what I think he meant by weaning for the health of the child. I don't think it was about the milk at all. I think it was about teaching the child the social skill of asking politely and receiving a yes or a no answer in the moment and being able to handle that without falling apart. Yes. And there are a couple of things that I pulled from what you just said. And one is something that we keep coming back to when we're talking about what 
quote unquote Steiner said is that he gave indications and we're, what we're talking about with what he may have said about breastfeeding is that they're really, if he gave any kind of indication, uh, even it was so, something so small that could have been lost in translation, right? And I know that's true for other things that Steiner has said and um, being translated from you know, German, then there can be interpretation there. And as well, that uh, this concept that you mentioned about discipline, and I was just introduced to this in a book I will link to on the show notes page for this episode, which is called No Drama Discipline. And in this book, they actually broke down. I was trying to find something that kind of comes out of the uh, respectful parenting, uh, like Rye approach, I guess, which feels so tod- more like toddler oriented to me and like kind of what's like the next step. So I found this author, uh, Tina Payne Bryson, and she uh, was a part of this book, No uh, Drama Discipline, which I believe she co-authored with somebody else. I'm forgetting their name. And this book introduced this concept that you just brought up, which is that discipline and it from the Latin, the, the origins of the word is from to teach. Yeah. And we associate it in our culture with punishment often and like shame. And just the way that you related that to this conversation, I wanted to bring up that this is a fascinating, like that, that discipline is to teach. And that book is, uh, goes into that quite beautifully, actually. That's a little bit of a side note, but... <laughs> it's a wonderful, it's, yeah. It's a wonderful yeah. side note. And it, I think, you know, di- the word disciple comes from discipline and also a, fo- a follower of a teacher. Children want to learn. Children want to be good. They want to fit into the social structure around them. And Children misbehave or, or, you know, what I call fall apart or have a temper tantrum when they are feeling like things aren't settled inside. And as parents, I think it is our job to, as best we can, proactively take care of their needs so they don't have to fall apart to have a need met. You know, we don't wait till a, a, a baby is crying heartily before we feed them. We hear those first grumpy noises, body language, turning toward the breast. And we know both mom and baby settle in quicker to an easy breastfeeding if we catch the baby in that stage. If we let the baby go to full-on crying, by then they've fallen apart a bit inside. And it takes a lot to settle down to breastfeed. I know if I had a good cry, I'm not ready to go to the table and eat right afterwards. There's all this stress that needs to, you know, the hormones need to resettle before my stomach's ready to receive food. And I imagine it's the same for infants. Yes. And I was just thinking that as well, coming to teaching children, even from a young age, to respect their own bodies and, you know, learning about bodily autonomy, what it is to model that, especially as the uh, usually gestational parent who is breast or chest feeding to set limits with our own bodies, what that models for the young child, I imagine must be immensely positive too. Absolutely. I I find it difficult to watch an older baby or a toddler grasping for the mother's body and the mother clearly not wanting in the moment to breastfeed, but giving in as a way to quiet the child or, or stop the you know situation from becoming uh, a public display. And I love when parents ask me, how, how do we stop this behavior, um, because there are very clear ways you can teach your child to ask politely and be ready to receive the answer uh, that the parent is giving for whether or not this is the right moment to breastfeed. I ran into this. This conversation we're having so directly runs into, firstly, I have to say, both of us are into extended breastfeeding. So yes. this is all to say, we'll ha- we'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode, but I relate so much to this part of our conversation because um, I went through this uh, moment in our my breastfeeding relationship with my son in where he just was allowed kind of unlimited access. And it was a really, when I look back, a beautiful kind of window of time, but it was a little bit tough coming out of it. For those of you that listen to every episode, um, my whole family got uh, COVID-19 even before everything shut down, we had a friend come to visit from um, New York on March 11th of 2020. And 
like before there are even lots of tests accessible to where you're living. Um, well, we did end up getting tested and tested positive, but it was this really scary moment for us because we didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about what, I mean, we were hoping that it, kids weren't getting it, but it felt so um, like emotionally wild, this little window we were in and trying to then be isolated and then everything shut down and it felt like kind of the world was falling apart. But that I just allowed my son and my gut instinct in the moment was just like he was still nursing. He was uh, 20 months at the time. And I just let him like unlimited access. And I was so fatigued. I was just kind of like laying on the couch. I felt like a little cow. And he just had what at that time, it just worked for both of us to have just like this totally unlimited like access. I just felt if that's what he needs, it's also relaxing me. It's also and that worked for us for that kind of two, three week period. But then coming out of that and coming back to setting um, some limits around what I felt comfortable with for my body was definitely a transition, but was very helpful for us to kind of going going back to the normal pattern of life, I guess. So I wanted to mention that too, that, and I'm sure you would say as well, Judy, that there are ebbs and flows too, to what we're talking about. Absolutely. Flexibility is really important when a child is sick or overtired or out of their daily schedule for whatever reason, holidays and travel. When the parent is tired or sick, then all bets are off for regular uh, rhythm of the day and you do what you need to do in the moment to keep everybody needs met. So absolutely there's a difference between the rhythm of the healthy average day and times of illness or other stressors. I love my toddler and baby, but I'm sure a lot of you can relate. Caring for young children can be a real challenge. Just last week, my two little ones were sick and it happened to be the only day that week that my husband was out of town. It was rough, but you know what still made me feel supported and beautiful? Wearing my littlest in our Sakura Bloom carrier. Sakura Bloom has been shouldering beauty and function since they started back in 2006. Back then, it was just the founder, a mom, Lynn, sewing each carrier herself on her grandmother's sewing machine. Since then, Sakura Bloom has expanded to offer three distinct carrier styles in a variety of colorways and textiles designed to meet all of your baby's developmental seasons. I have to tell you, I am a real textile nerd, and let me tell you how much I love all the gorgeous Sakura Bloom textiles. The Dipioni Silk is something to behold. It's lightweight and breathable, perfect for hot weather, and supportive enough to hold my toddler. Yes, you heard that right. My three-year-old loves getting a lift, especially on a long hike in our new Sakura Bloom toddler carrier. Then the bamboo. This uber soft, cozy textile is just perfect for newborns, and I've been loving the snuggliness of it as the autumn weather's been rolling in here in New England. And I can't neglect to mention the linen. Naturally antibacterial, five times stronger than cotton, this textile is also thermoregulating and a classic that works in all seasons. Now, I have to tell you about my absolute favorite, the cashmere. This incredible seasonal ring sling is crafted of pure Italian cashmere and is the ultimate in cozy support, temperature regulation, breathability, and durability. In a word, it's exquisite and sure to make the perfect gift for any loving parent or carer. Now you can shop Sakura Bloom's three distinct carrier styles and all the colorways and textiles at their website, sakurabloom.com. Plus, be sure to use the coupon code WALDERFEE at checkout to receive free shipping on your order. Their website is S-A-K-U-R-A-B-L-O-O-M.com. I think most of you know by now how much I truly love all things Waldorf. What can I say? It's what I was fortunate enough to get to experience as a child, and now I'm so enjoying learning more about all of it with you listeners as an adult. You know the Waldorf goodies are beautiful, but where do you find that quality selection of Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies? Well, you needn't look any further than Palumba. Palumba, loosely meaning wooden dove, was formed in 2007 to fill the need for the desire to have safe, high-quality, all-natural toys made in the U.S. Palumba's selection of products are carefully chosen to ensure that they're made of wood, wool, silk, and cotton along with other natural materials. Palumba is also the only retailer that features the complete Camden Rose line. Camden Rose's commitment to durability, beauty, natural, and renewable materials make them the American leader in eco-friendly natural toy and children's furniture design. A handful of items come from a women's cooperative in Peru, while the majority of items are made in the U.S. At Palumba, they believe that imaginative, open-ended play with simple toys crafted from beautiful, natural materials offers children warmth and a sense of well-being when discovering their world. 
If you've listened to this show before or follow on social media, you know that Palumba is my favorite place to get all the quality Waldorf things. I would so love for you to check them out. You can shop their selection of Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies at their website, palumba.com. That's P-A-L-U-M-B-A.com. And I feel like now we cannot have an episode about chest and breastfeeding without talking about some of the benefits. And (laughs) you are well aware of all of those. So do you want to catch us up on just some of the ones we're probably mostly all familiar with? Thank goodness for more recent research over the years since my first baby was born. We do know there are so many benefits for, for the whole family, for the mother who is producing the milk for the children who are receiving the milk, you know, for a baby. It has been documented now that um, at different stages of childhood, they score higher on IQ tests, that uh, there we know there are ingredients in breast milk that cannot be replicated outside of breast milk that specifically feed brain neurons and gut microbiome uh, that make for the healthiest child, both during the years of receiving that breast milk and the rest of their life, setting the biome that will then receive table food forever. There are benefits for mom, the obvious ones of it's you know, convenient, uh, warm, ready to feed at any time a child needs to feed uh, if mom and baby are kept in close proximity. It can help with the mother's health. It lowers her risk for breast cancers and uterine cancers. It lowers her risk for diabetes later in life, keeps a healthier BMI, uh, assuming she's eating a healthy diet along with breastfeeding. Um, For the whole family, uh, expense-wise, it is far less expensive to provide breast milk for a child than it is to purchase alternative milks. I could go on for hours, enough so that even in Western medicine now, where marketing techniques are very strong in trying to convince families, doctors' offices to still make readily available formula just in case it's needed. I I say that in quotes. Um, Even in these areas of Western medicine, uh, it is becoming very clear through the baby-friendly system that is spreading throughout our country and the world that breastfeeding is the gold standard. And other feedings, although can help raise healthy children when breast milk isn't readily available, it is still the gold standard and the uh, first attempt before we reach for other milks or other ways of getting milk to a child. Yes, and before we get to speaking about extended breastfeeding, uh, which we're going to be chatting a little bit about, I want to talk about this uh, question of holistically minded and oriented communities being inclusive to parents and carers who chose not to or couldn't chest or breastfeed. I feel like Again, I want to be very careful in associating breastfeeding at all with Waldorf because I posted a photo of myself actually on social media breastfeeding recently. And I got so many DMs where people were like, is this like what Waldorf is? Like, are you supposed to breastfeed? Are you like, am I not quote unquote Waldorf if I don't breastfeed? And I totally want to like Mm -hmm. tear this apart because as we just mentioned, if Steiner gave any indications about that, it was obviously very little, if anything. And I, what I want to emphasize is, um, and I think that all, I say holistically minded and oriented communities because I don't think this is exclusive to Waldorf. I think that within this kind of community and mindset, there can often be this not, not being as inclusive around this. Um, and I'm wondering how you feel Waldorf or other holistically minded or oriented communities can be more inclusive to parents who and carers who did not choose to or couldn't chest and breastfeed. I think we can always strive to be inclusive. There are so many reasons that exclusive breastfeeding uh, goal of a particular mother is met. Uh, It can be, it can range from 
hormonal reasons. Um, it can range from work demand reasons. It can range having to do with lack of support in the early days or being given and practicing poor techniques of breastfeeding, which then later uh, get in the way of a full supply of breast milk. It can be that the biological, uh, that the parents, the caregivers of the child aren't the same as the biological parents and making breast milk uh, is challenging or in some cases not possible. We, f I feel very fortunate that we live now in a time where enough research has gone into making alternative milks healthy, great alternatives when breast milk isn't chosen to be the source or can't be the full source for a child. There are great formulas available to all of us, whether we can afford them and when we can't, distributed by our governmental, what do we call them, uh, offerings to make sure all children's nutritional needs are met. Um, I was the mother of an infant who was a foster baby. And because so, he we were automatically signed up for uh, WIC, which really helped me to understand the complexity of that whole system. Um, he was able to receive formula through that system, and I learned more about it to then help my clients navigate it after that point. And he thrived. He also, uh, fortunately, was able to receive donor milk. Um, he was struggling with being a very premature baby and having other anomalies and um, wasn't digesting and gaining weight properly. And I got permission to get donor milk, human milk for him, which helped him to thrive and digested more easily for him as well. We were so grateful for the donors who helped us feed him. I am part of um, an alternative community. I'm married to a woman. Um, we each had our uh, birth children, um, and I have had many clients where there it is a household with two moms in it, and I often am the one that introduces the idea of what we call dry feeding or dry nursing a child, where the second non-biological mother in the household still has wonderful breasts that can comfort a baby, and if it's uh, the second parent's choice, there are cultures that both second mothers or even fathers have nipples and can comfort a child at the chest or breast without the child receiving milk, but still receiving all the other benefits of being close skin to skin uh, with the relaxing, stress-reducing benefits of sucking a nipple. Yeah, I think that it's just something that comes up quite a bit, actually, and people get very fired up about uh and I bring that up as well because it came to my attention, my little one who's three just started two days a week at our local Waldorf school, which you mentioned already in this episode. Yay. Uh, but, and he's doing pretty well so far. It's been a little bit of an adjustment after being pretty isolated for a while and it's all outside and I think... I think he's really enjoying it. The first day when he comes home, he kind of doesn't say anything. But then the next day, he's telling us about all the things and the other kids. It's quite sweet. But uh, coming to that, I was not asked when I applied to the school for him about his birth or about uh, breast or chest feeding. And it came to my awareness that other Waldorf schools may ask parents uh, when they're applying for preschool or kindergarten, maybe even first grade, I don't know, about the child's method of birth and chest or breastfeeding. I spoke about this a little bit with Rahima in the first episode of the season in which she mentioned, you know, that this is by no means, the, the intention anyways is to not be exclusive, but just to get a picture of the child and their how they entered the world. My mom, when I asked my mom about this, I don't know if you remember, she thought they did ask about it uh, at the time when we were little kids because she was really proud of the fact that she breastfed, <laughs> breastfed us for a, a while and she wanted to, that was like something she was really excited to like put down for herself, for her. And I'm wondering how you feel about that. I think it has to do with 
the how the child is incarnating into the world from the diner viewpoint. But I'm wondering if it if it doesn't it's not coming across to parents in a very inclusive light, if you will. It's a great thought. And I too remember being asked, I don't remember if it was when we were applying, but I specifically remember when they asked to do what was called a child study on one of my children, that I had to go into depth starting right with my pregnancy, her birth, uh, how we fed when, you know, all, all the parenting techniques. And I hear you. I think that you know, you and I both come from a privileged white middle class families. And with that comes some cultural benefits that we're often unaware of because we're surrounded by it. And to be fully inclusive, one must be very careful the way questions are worded because we each hold different aspects of our parenting our young children's lives ways that we wished we could have done differently or known more or had access to and I know it's a hot point both birth and breastfeeding are very hot points for parents to have shame around if it didn't go the way they dreamed it might or they wanted it to or the culture tells them it should go and so when they are questioned again and again through the child's childhood or life about it, it can bring up those feelings again and again. So not having been educated in what exactly a child study then did for the Waldorf school teachers who then participated in it and then read it, I don't know for sure how much they would change their teaching style based on the way a child was born or how long or if they received uh, human milk versus other early foods. It's a good question. And I imagine people like your mom and I who were proud of the way it played out for us are happy to relate it in a child study or in an application. And those who have shame or disappointment or unfinished grief about it it may turn them away from seeking more information about a Waldorf education before they've even had a chance to go very far if it's on the application form. I think we should be very, very tender and careful about posing questions in a way that may seem judgmental or elitist. Right, especially without any explanation. I think that's one of the things that kind of came across and some people had turned away from Waldorf because it was like this asking, they felt it was very intrusive to ask these kinds of questions and then give no explanation to why. Yes. Um, and they, it's one of those things and we've come across this in this uh, on this show before where the intention may be something, but the impact is something else. Uh, and that's something that I think the whole kind of Waldorf many within the Waldorf schools communities are starting to become more aware of and sensitive to at this time. So I hope that that kind of work continues for those communities. I agree. I, I think we need to stay awake to the cultural, the systemic cultural practices that we all use, the language we use, and find out if our practices are contributing to the the results that we're trying to, I think anyway, trying to, uh, we want a more blended community from everything I understand. We want to be inclusive. Uh, if you look at, you know, from college brochures all the way down to preschool Waldorf brochures, you will see in many, many schools uh, a sampling of children from many different skin tones, many different cultures. And then when we actually get to these schools, there is far less diversity than I think we all wish there was. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that still so? And what can we do to be more inclusive? Right. And I've, I know I've said this on the show before. I think the roots of the, there's, it's so it's there within the communities. I know growing up, I always felt that 
the most inclusive space I was exposed to in my childhood was my Waldorf school. I feel like all different kinds of in, in terms of any other circle or sphere, what I saw going on in other areas or parts of my life within the world was nothing like the welcomeness that I, you know, witnessed and felt when I was uh, it, with other children and parents and families and different kinds of families uh, at our Waldorf school. But like you said, that also is very largely impacted by my background. And it's been really eye-opening as an adult to learn about the work that Waldorf uh, communities have to do to continue to do to make sure that that inclusivity is being offered to everybody. So I'm glad we get to touch on that. Have you been looking for something specially crafted to entertain and enrich your child's developing mind? Wouldn't it be amazing if this content promoted values like kindness, empathy, and respect to help build a gentler world? Would you love a break but feel a little guilty about turning the TV on? then you're going to be pretty excited to learn about Sparkle Stories. With Sparkle Stories, your family can enjoy a world of 1,300 plus original audio stories for ages three and up. Sparkle Stories is dedicated to helping the world go a little slower and be a little kinder. Their audio-only approach invites children to adventure, wonder, and dream in a safe and secure way. Audio stories are a low-pressure way to make even the shyest of readers hungry for more adventure and learning. My older son is three and a half, and I love that I can search for stories based on his age or story topic. For him, I love that the stories are recorded slowly for young ears, ensuring maximum comprehension and enjoyment. It's been such a nice way to build a quiet rest time into our active days. I've also gifted Sparkle Stories to my six-year-old niece twice now, and I know she enjoys the longer tales and ongoing series. My favorite thing about Sparkle Stories, it is such a great alternative to the TV. Their audio-only stories spur children to use their imaginations and grow their curiosity compared to image-based entertainment like TV. Especially having our new little one in the house, I love using Sparkle Stories to keep my three-year-old's mind engaged and having fun while I get things done. I've teamed up with Sparkle Stories to offer an extended 30-day free trial so you can enjoy the entire library of Sparkle Stories, over 1,300 original audio stories for ages three and up, and you can trust me, you will enjoy. To sign up, just visit sparklestories.com forward slash sign up and use code WALDORFY and know that this coupon code is just good through the end of 2021, so don't delay. I just love Sparkle Stories' selection of gentle stories for growing minds. So we haven't gotten to speak about extended breastfeeding yet. And I know that we're both proponents of that. (laughs) And so let's talk about the, uh, and I think that both of us have felt in the kind of Waldorf sphere community, we have felt a level of comfortability with extended breast or chest feeding. So let's talk a little bit about the benefits of extended breast and chest feeding. There are many. Just like when a child is young, the convenience uh, of having milk available when you maybe forgot to pack a snack is there. When a child, an older child who's walking and toddling and um, falls and hurts themselves, it is a sweet way uh, that they bring themselves back to equilibrium, is to come sit with mom and snuggle in and breastfeed for a moment. Um, A child who is overtired and overstimulated, it's a great way to go into a quiet space and and breastfeed for a few minutes to quiet them down and help them prepare for sleep. The world we live in now, we all are well aware that for those who want it, there are vaccines available to teens and adults for this COVID-19 crisis, but none available for our younger children. Well, for children, toddlers, babies, they can receive passively through the breast milk some of the antibodies from their moms if their moms are vaccinated. And like you, you knew it innately without being able probably to voice it. You and your husband had COVID actively, and your son, a toddler at the time, went back to a lot of breastfeeding during your illness. Well, as your body was fighting the illness, your immune system was on high alert, and he was receiving your immune system antibodies through the continued, the frequent breastfeeding. It was a wonderful way for him to have a less 
a viral load, a, a lower viral load, a less intense COVID infection because he was receiving your more mature um, immune system antibodies. Children take a long time to go from drinking milk to eating full meals at the kitchen table with their family. You know, we, we don't really expect children to sit and eat the way we eat, you know, three meals a day with snacks in between until well into their second year to and toward their third year. But when they are supplementing table food with breast milk, if they're on a kick where they're only eating apples, well, whatever you're eating, a more rounded full meal, is they're still going to get the nutrients of it through the breast milk. You know, even if they're down to between age two and three, breastfeeding a couple of times a day, they're still getting the varied nutrients from the meals their mother is eating that day. It also helps children to expand their palate. We know that just like the amniotic fluid when the baby is inside of you is flavored each day by the food and spices and herbs that the mother is consuming, we know that once the baby is born, the flavor of the mom's breast milk is very similar to that of her amniotic fluid that the baby was swallowing inside of her, which is why we know that babies always prefer and turn toward the smell of their mother's breast milk over other early foods because they're already familiar with it. A mom who lives in a culture that eats a lot of hot spicy food, that baby's amniotic fluid and then breast milk is full of that hot spice. That baby is going to expect to be eating spicy, tasty food at the kitchen table because their palate has already experienced it right from the beginning of their tasting life. When a child is offered broccoli at the kitchen table, they may turn away from it. We know as nutritionists to offer a food at least seven times over 14 days before we expect a child to appreciate that flavor and trust it enough to know it's a safe food to eat. They watch their parents eat it, and they can taste it in a subtler form in the breast milk, helping prepare their taste buds to eventually accept it as a food they can enjoy and trust. That is the benefit of breastfeeding a toddler, is that it continues to expand their palate to whatever foods you're eating, helping them to prepare to accept them eventually. A child who only is drinking formula, we have learned as healthcare professionals to have moms put in just a tinge of different spices in that formula different days so that child is not receiving the exact same flavor day in and day out for months at a time, but is beginning to recognize a tiny bit of spice in that formula will expand that child's ability to then receive their first foods without being surprised that there's another taste in the world. It's a good trick, and I encourage moms to look into it, to ask their nutritionist and pediatrician and lactation consultant about doing that, because it can really help a baby to um, be willing to try other table foods as they come to the table. And I'm wondering, there are, I'm sure, so many questions for listeners who are listening to this episode and interested in learning more. What are your favorite resources for breast and chest feeding parents? And could you recommend those? And I will link to those on the show notes page too. Wonderful. So if it's a breastfeeding and medical combination question that a parent has, I really like Dr. Jen for kids. She's a breastfeeding medicine expert and I very much appreciate her take on many subjects. If it's a breastfeeding question. I love, my go-to is kellymom.com for parents to get reliable lactation uh, specialist, IBCLC worthy information. Anything that's written on kellymom.com who was started by a lactation consultant is reliable and trustworthy. 
And then the third one um, for, it's hard to talk about breastfeeding without also talking about child development. And my favorite child developmentalist is Janet Lansbury. And she has podcasts, she has books, uh, Facebook presence. She's an incredible child developmentalist. And I highly recommend any family with young children follow her. Wonderful. And is there a place where parents or carers or grandparents could reach out to you or uh, find you on social media or possibly book virtual consultations, even if they're not in your area? I do both in-home and virtual uh, lactation consultations. And yes, I have a website, judithfair.com, my full name. Uh, I also have a Facebook page, Judith Fair, comma, RN, comma, IBCLC. Great. Well, thank you so much, Judy, for speaking with me uh, today. This was, I, of course, always love just basking in your wisdom <laughs> and love. And I'm sure that the listeners can just like feel it when they are going to be listening. I don't know if I've actually ever shared, probably not on the show before, but when my first son Jasper was born, my husband was so ill. Um, so my first son Jasper was born in May of 2018 and he was born at home and my husband got so sick. My mom almost took him to urgent care. Like at the end when I was like completely fine, the midwife had to give him an IV. We don't really know what happened, but he threw up many times, was super, super sick. So when having our second this past May of 2021, my husband was like, we need Abadula. We need to have a doula. We need to have an extra support person who can be there, you know, for you in case who knows I get sick again. And I wanted that too. And he said, Who is that person going to be? And I said, It has to be Judy. I hope with everything in, in me that it's Judy because you, you know, as a child are that person that, you know, if you were at a sleepover and you wanted your mommy to come get you, you were hoping that Judy was going to be the one that was going to be holding you until your mom could get there. <laughs> and that I wanted that feeling as a mother giving birth somehow like that, that kind of, and you did hold me at different points so wonderfully. So thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with us, with the audience. I am so happy to do this with you, Ashley. I am honored to have been at your birth and to have been asked to be on this podcast with you. Thank you all so much for listening in. As a reminder, and I mentioned it earlier, you can get free shipping for your order at sakurabloom.com by using the coupon code WALDORFEE at checkout. Know that the show notes and resources page for this episode can be found at waldorfee.com forward slash chest and breastfeeding. Big thanks to Waldorfee podcast partners, Palumba and Sparkle Stories for helping me to bring this content to you. You can shop Palumba's selection of Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies at palumba.com. And please be sure to visit sparklestories.com forward slash sign up to check out Sparkle Stories. And don't forget to use the coupon code Waldorfee there so that you can get access to an extended 30-day free trial of their incredible selection of original audio stories crafted to entertain and enrich your child's developing mind. A super special thanks to our generous Walderfee Patreon supporters. You can check out patreon.com forward slash Walderfee to learn more about becoming a supporter. Another great way to support the show is by writing a review. The best place to do this is Apple Podcasts, although technically you can write reviews on most podcast listening platforms. You can also subscribe to the show. That's the best compliment that you'd like to listen to each and every episode. You can also support by following along on social media. You can find Waldorfie at B Waldorfie, that's B-E Waldorfie on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I'm definitely the most active on Instagram. Big thanks again to all of you listening. Be well.